Hi, welcome to Ask a Pastor. We're glad that you've uh, made some time to participate in this today. I'm joined by Josiah Lewenberger. Hey there. Who, uh, hey, uh, welcome, who works with our young adults here at Orchard Hill as part of our adult ministry uh, team, uh, does some teaching on the weekends as well and other places. And uh, we're going to talk about several things. If you have questions, send them to Ask a Pastor at OrchardHillChurch.com. We'd be happy to interact with them in the future. So Josiah, um, the first question is, uh, I'm going to read this almost verbatim. I'm going to eliminate a couple names uh, because I don't want to um, be responsible for this question entirely. Protect the innocent. And so uh, it says, so and so, so and so, and I have been having a recent conversation about keeping our kids safe online, both from a don't be an idiot and, to, and go to meet the stranger you've been talking to on Yahoo Instant Mis Messenger, all the way to how do I keep boobs from showing up on the screen each time and every time my kids search for something on the internet. Mm. So the question is, uh, how do you uh, recommend that somebody goes about uh, kind of keeping kids safe online? Yeah. Especially in an environment where so many things are really not that safe. Mm-hmm. Well, first, thanks for having me back on. I enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast these past few weeks. It's been cool to hear some of the questions asked and just the perspective people here on our staff have to share. So I'm really thankful for this resource. And uh, considering these questions here today, you know, I have to say I thought a lot about my own upbringing and my parents. And something that I'm thankful for is that my parents helped me make wise decisions when I wasn't able to make them for myself. And I think a concern for a lot of parents today is no one, I don't know many parents who want their kids to dislike them. Mm -hmm. But I think that sometimes to parent a child well, you have to make some choices for them that are going to be difficult for them. And when it comes to the online stuff, I think it is important for parents to establish boundaries, even when that might be difficult for children. Um, a few things to consider are just asking your kids what sites they're viewing. If you're going to give the child a access to uh, online media through a phone or an iPad or a computer, I think that it's fair to ask them, what are you going to be doing with this? And uh, that's part of parenting a kid, you know, who's unable to have the maturity to, mm -hmm. to know what's best for them. And uh, even if that's a difficult thing, uh, something I really appreciated about my parents is that they always kept our computer in a public place when I was a kid. So anything I was going to be doing, I knew that anyone could look over my shoulder at any moment, which has a way of keeping mm -hmm. you accountable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I know that with mobile uh, capability today, you know, you can easily take your phone into your room or whatever. And so I do think it is appropriate to establish some boundaries, uh, mm -hmm. maybe with a kid saying, we don't allow devices in bedrooms or devices after a certain time at night. I think that oftentimes people get themselves in trouble in the evening or mm -hmm. late at night. And so creating those kind of boundaries to make sure your kids are being wise in the mm -hmm. way that they use media is a good decision for parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good. I appreciate what you said first about the decision on being liked versus doing what's best for the kid. I think that is a fundamental parenting issue that you have to resolve really early with your kids. Mm. Um, because if you don't, what happens is if you parent to be liked, you'll miss uh, some of the things that you really need to do that are best for the kid. Um, and you know, I mean, there's really easy examples of this, but but so often I think where, where parenting is hard for somebody is to say, if I, if I enforce this, they're not going to be happy and I want them to be happy. Therefore, I'm not going to enforce this when what I really need to do is to enforce some kind of a boundary. Now, those boundaries uh, really do change over time. 
Uh, obviously, if you're talking about a seven-year-old, it's different than a 17-year-old. Yeah, and how do you go point. about uh, establishing patterns when they're young where you do have firm boundaries, you know, public computer, this, that. But the truth is in our day of mobile devices, if your kid has a mobile phone uh, at 17, which is not an unreasonable thing that they would have a mobile phone, um, if they're not self-regulated at that point, you can put all the boundaries on it you want and you've already lost. And so to, to me, the important thing is that you, that you start young and what you're aiming for is not control, although you want to con help control it when they're young. You're, you're aiming for self-regulation and self-motivation so that when your control goes away, and it will, um, that, that they have the internal resource to, to, to hold back. You, you know, when you were growing up, and I'll just pick on your age growing up, not <laughs> mine, just when you were growing up, you know, you said, you know, the computer was in a public place. Well, you probably were before everybody had a smartphone yeah, absolutely. Uh, as, a, as a growing up individual. So you had the internet and the public nature of it made it hard mm -hmm. and how slow dial up was. You couldn't even click out of stuff that fast. And, and now, you know, anybody who wants to has, has whatever they want on their phones as soon as they have a smartphone. And so to me, what that does is it changes the game from, from I'm setting boundaries around this to I'm trying to teach you how to be self-motivated in this area yep. to see what you need to see and to be able to self-regulate. Yeah. Two totally different approaches. Absolutely uh, coming agree. To those. And I think that helping your children to make those wise decisions when they're unable to do it for themselves, that is something where at a younger age, that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I think there has to be a point where as a parent, you have a conversation with your kids about what's really at the heart of these issues. Right. And I'm thankful for my parents that they were willing to put themselves in that awkward place. Yeah. I remember sitting in my bedroom as a 13-year-old, one of my friends, his, his parents found out that he was looking at porn on the family computer. And so my parents took that as an opportunity to say, hey, here's what's going on. Yeah. And they talked to us about a healthy understanding of sexuality as a gift from God for a husband yeah. and wife to enjoy but some ways that we can tend to look for that same type of fulfillment in ways that are gonna be yeah. ultimately damaging. Yeah. And so I'm glad that they had that conversation, even though it was super awkward for me as yeah. a junior high boy, yeah. because as I grew, I came to understand like what this is really about. And I think that that did save me some pain yeah. and really you know, going down some roads that ultimately could have had a really negative impact on me. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's good. And what you're highlighting is don't be afraid as a parent to ask, to probe, to talk. Mm -hmm. Even if your kids act like they don't want to talk about it, have the conversation because it's an important conversation for them to hear your perspective, not just assume that they're kind of, kind of getting it. I, I totally. also think it's, it's fair to say especially early teen years, mid-teen years, um, as long as I'm participating in the cost of this phone, I have access to look at it when I want to. And, and that does two things. Um, even if you don't look at it all the time, it says to your child, I care enough that, that I'm not going to just, here, hand you access to any stranger, any content, mm -hmm. without me at least being able to look yep. now, obviously any kid who's savvy can figure out how to cover their tracks. And so, but, but, but what that does is again, it just says, says, this is going to be an open thing. This is not just your private thing. Um, and then the second thing that I think it does is it actually gives your kids an out with their friends to say, my mom, my dad's going to look at what's on my phone. So don't send me that because what happens with kids and, and I've heard this with, with teenagers is their friends will start sending them stuff 
And they're like, whoa, and, and, and it's a lot easier for them in some ways to say, hey, my dad, my mom's going to look at that. Don't send it to me than to say, I don't want to see that. And not that you wouldn't want them to get to the point where they say, I don't want to see that. But, you know, the first time you get a, that's a great idea, like a swear word or something, you know, an F bomb sure. that somebody texts them and it's on the phone, um, it, you know, and, and if they have real friends at some point, they'll probably get an F bomb sent to them as mm-hmm. among probably more nefarious things. Mm-hmm. And so you, you you are able then they're able to say, hey, look, my, my dad's going to see those texts. Don't send it to me. Yeah. You know, one other thing that I think has been helpful for a lot of my friends who are ha- able to have the maturity to say pornography is a real struggle for me on my phone. And sometimes I don't have the willpower mm-hmm. to overcome that on my mm-hmm. own. Uh, they've come to me and said, hey, I've installed a software program on my phone that is an accountability software. Yeah. And it keeps me from accessing programs unless someone enters a password. And so I've, for buddies, I've plugged in my password and you know, uh, yeah. I know in particular, the one that a lot of them have used is called Covenant Eyes. And that's actually mm-hmm. been a really helpful thing for them. Yeah. Yeah, for some people, that's, mm-hmm. that's really helpful. I, one of the things I've said, I have four boys. One of the things I've said to them is, is assume that anything you receive or send, anything you look at, will one day be seen mm-hmm. publicly. And if you make that assumption, you'll be just fine. And it's probably a pretty good assumption, um, it, you know, to assume that someday you're going to go for a job and just assume that, you know, anything you wrote on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, anything that you looked at on Snapchat could be pulled up by somebody who's savvy. And, uh, and, and you don't want to let that be your biggest motivation because that's a fear-based motivation. But, but it's also a helpful perspective just to say, I'm not just privately interacting. This is being captured somewhere and doesn't go away. Yeah, and, uh, that'll keep you accountable. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's, a, it's probably reality. I mean, I think that's, that's an important thing. It, you know, just one last thought before we move off this question. Um, when it comes to being willing to do something because you're saying this is good rather than being liked, we do this with food very easily. It, you know, when a kid's little, uh, they want to eat ice cream all the time. And as a parent, you know that it's not good for them to eat ice cream. And so you make a choice to say you can't eat ice cream all the time because that's not healthy. So I don't care if you don't like me. You're going to eat beans before you eat ice cream. <laughs> you're going to you're, you're going to eat something else. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know how important that is. But for some reason, when it comes to something like social media and Internet, we feel less certain of our rightness in saying it's OK not to be liked right now in order to to, to parent where I need to. Hmm. So yeah. so good. Um, here's a question. How do you know if what you're feeling instructed to do is coming from the Holy Spirit or the flesh? And and probably what's behind this question is is just the idea of if you're feeling a prompt or a leading, how do you know that it's God, that it's his Holy Spirit working and calling you to something and not by flesh? They are probably referring to our own just human nature, our own desire. So, so what's, your, yeah. what's your reaction to that? Yeah, first, I, I just want to affirm that our life circumstances absolutely matter to God. And so I think this question is most often asked when people are considering things that are really important to them big decisions or desires of their heart that they've really wrestled with uh, for a long time and, you know, with some degree of intensity. And so it is important for us to remember God really does care about the circumstances of our lives. We should bring those things to him in prayer. But I do think that we can run into, a tr- run into trouble when we feel like we need to spiritualize our decisions somehow. 
I think that the Holy Spirit can and is able to direct us in a very profound way, a, a way that is more dramatic by putting something on our heart. But I also think that a way that the Holy Spirit guides us is by shaping our character as we walk through life in faith, looking to Christ. Uh, God shapes our character through the Holy Spirit. And he also puts people in our lives who have wisdom, people who know us, people who've been walking with Christ themselves, who can speak truth to us about who we are and who God is. And so I think that when we have to validate our decisions by saying the Holy Spirit told me to do this, that's not really necessary because the Holy Spirit speaks to us and shapes us in a variety of ways. We don't necessarily need a magic uh, light bulb to flick on in our minds to tell us exactly what to do because mm-hmm. uh, God speaks to us in other ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great question because it's not really easy to discern. And, and if it were, then obviously we, we would never have that, that question. But here, here's just a couple quick thoughts. I, I, I like what you said about it's not necessarily necessary to say the Holy Spirit told me or God told me. I'm always leery when somebody says God said. Not that I doubt that they got a prompting from God or a leading, but it becomes a club. As soon as you say, God told me this, how can anybody argue? Um, Because if God really did tell you that, then nobody can have a contrary opinion. And so anytime somebody's like, well, God told me this, uh, my first answer is, well, I'll listen too. And if God tells me the same thing, then maybe it's of God. Um, but, and, and I'm not trying to be funny about that, but just to say, and, and I try not to use that even as a pastor, even though sure. I'll pray about and say, I think God's leading me or the church in this direction. But, but if I stand up even as a pastor and say, God told me that this is where we're going, it becomes manipulation. And, and what I think is often true about the Holy Spirit versus the flesh is, is the things that are usually Holy Spirit driven are usually more, um, a call away from something that makes much of us. And, and what I mean by that is, is, is when we start feeling, well, maybe the Holy Spirit's leading me to something or God's leading me to something, usually if it's really God, it will, it will, be to, it will cost us and it will be hard, not it will make much of us and be easy. And, and so just an example of this, you know, at Orchard Hill, we have a great tradition around Christmas Eve and uh, last several years, we've had more than 15,000 people. So it's a, it's a place where people who sing in the church want to sing because it's a chance to sing in front of thousands and thousands of people. What I would say, and I haven't had this exact situation, but if somebody came to me and said, I feel God, the Holy Spirit telling me I should sing a solo on Christmas Eve, Um, I would say it's probably more likely that the Holy Spirit would say, I'm calling you to park cars or serve in the nursery on Christmas Eve than to sing a solo. Um, Not that God wouldn't necessarily call you to sing a solo, but but if it's really God's leading, it will probably not be to put you in the biggest spot of spotlight, but to put you in the lesser spot of spotlight. Mm. Um, And again, not saying there isn't some of that, but, but to say, you know, instead, if you felt that, to say, hey, I'm available, I'm willing, if you can use me, and if not, go ahead and, and assign me to the nursery. Yep. Um, but as soon as you start saying, I have to have this and this is God. Now that's a, maybe a goofy example, but I think it helps to, to kind of quantify that because a lot Absolutely. of times our, our sense of, well, God's leading me is really, I want this and now I'm going to make God responsible. And that's when we probably are closer to our flesh than to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
And don't you think when the Holy Spirit leads us in a way, it's going to be consistent with the teachings of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, the first class I took in seminary on Bible interpretation, one of the things the professor said is the Holy Spirit blows where he wills, but not what he wills. Mm. And so the Holy Spirit's not going to communicate anything to us that is totally out of left field and different from anything we've ever read in God's mm-hmm. Word. And so when we set our mind on following God's word and recognizing that all we really need, we already have in Christ. And we're looking with dependence on God to direct us, not feeling that we need to gain something else to make ourselves feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. or to really make something out of our lives where we can be a significant person. Mm -hmm. But we just want to be faithful in following God in response to his grace. Then I think that the Holy Spirit's not going to lead us astray because we're not asking the Holy Spirit to be our magic eight ball or our fortune cookie. We're asking the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to follow God and serve him. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Here's a question. Um, Stats say that the church is losing adherence, especially among young adults. So your primary role here is to work with young adults. So the question is, why are so many young adults apparently leaving church? And what solutions do you see? Yeah, I think for me, when when I hear people talk about how the church is losing traction with young adults, uh, it does give you sort of an alarmist feeling when you read those articles. I think they're often written in that kind of tone. Mm-hmm. But just being completely honest myself, I don't have that feeling when I think mm-hmm. about young adults and their relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. I think what's happening in our culture is that it's no longer a cultural rite of passage to say that I'm involved in the church in some way. Mm-hmm. It's not the normal thing to do. You don't just show up to church on a Sunday morning anymore because it's expected of you. Um, And so what I really think is this time, this particular moment in our society is a time where the church needs to remember who we really are at our most core message. Um, And what I mean by that is this is an opportunity for us to say the the ways of relating to the church by saying this is a cultural thing to do, a rite of passage, we can differentiate between religion and the gospel. And what I mean by that is saying religion is I obey the rules and expectations of a religious culture, and therefore I'm good with God. And that mode of thinking, I obey God to gain his blessing. But the gospel is I'm a broken person who can do nothing to satisfy God on my own, but I'm accepted by grace through Jesus Christ. And so my life is a response of thankfulness to what God has done for me. And then I think that really equips us to live out a faith that truly means something to us. Mm -hmm. And I do think that has big implications for a church. Uh, The first thing I would say is that to a certain degree, the church should be a place where people can come and belong before they believe. And here's what I mean by that. Here at Orchard Hill, we want to be a place where people at any stage in their spiritual journey can come and take steps closer to Christ. But there are certainly things that we would reserve for believers, like membership and leadership, participating in communion and baptism, But we love it when people who aren't necessarily convinced show up and are in worship with us or participating in community life and attending events because we want them to have a place to explore and hear what the gospel is really about, this life of grace based on what God has done for us in Jesus. And that's what changes us. We're not about saying, come here and play by our rules. We want people to come here and know the transforming power of God's grace in Jesus. And that's what changes our hearts. And then we live in a different way. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective on that. I think um, I agree that that I've seen the stats, but I've lived enough cycles in the church now. I'm not a young adult. And 
that, that I'm not convinced that, that it's any worse than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know 30 years ago, the stats were 60 to 80% of anybody who grows up in the church leaves and never comes back. Um, and what people said in the fear mongering that, that you're talking about is if this doesn't change, the church will all be dead in 30 years. Well, here we are 30 years later and the church is filled with 45 to 70 year olds. And so clearly that generation didn't totally disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly my experience at Orchard Hill is there's tons of young adults. That, that's not, not, not a missing demographic. Um, do, do a lot of people maybe take a hiatus at 18 to 25? Yeah, there's some of that. But I, again, I think that's been, been standard. But I think you couldn't be more right in saying the answer isn't to try to be cooler or to try to be more relevant or anything like that. It's saying, saying what is the timeless message that, that brings real transformation and hope because the church really does have something to offer every generation uh, over time. And, and, and focusing on that is ultimately what will bring uh, people of any generation back together um, mm. in that. Yeah, and just real quick, I think it's vital for churches to focus on what's most important as a community, uh, to be a place where people can find authentic relationships, where people are encouraged to take steps closer to Christ, uh, the church to be a place where people know that they're genuinely cared for. Mm-hmm. We don't just care about having people in the pews. We want right. to know them and we want to share life with them to build real friendships mm-hmm. so we can support each other as we walk through the ups and downs of faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also think it's important for churches. There can be a tendency to have the mindset where a win for us is having people in this building. Mm-hmm. But really our goal is to have people in here so that they can be equipped to go live life mm-hmm. outside of the church and be on mission. And what I mean by that is being out in the community with people who don't know Christ, building friendships, and then looking for opportunities just as they live life with one another to share the difference that Jesus has made to them. Yeah. That's, that's a win for us. Yeah, no, that's, that's well put. Well, Josiah, thank you for making the time to be here Thanks today for me. and uh, be a part of this. If you have questions, send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com, and we will try to address them in a coming episode or podcast. Yeah.